What is up and welcome to another episode, episode 40 of State of My Art Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Yorty. Thanks for joining me today. If this is your first time checking out the pod, thanks for coming and giving it a chance. On today's episode, I zoom over to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to chat with my good friend, Rishi Ball. Rishi is the frontman and songwriter of a band called Eternal Boy. They used to be called the Space Pimps. They're really big in Pittsburgh and in Europe and all over the world. He's very talented, very hardworking. He's also a professor. He teaches marketing because he's just a genius with that. He also runs Four Chord Music Festival, which is in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. It's happening on September 17th, a week from now. Rise Against, The Used, State Champs, Mayday Parade, The Menzingers, Four Years Strong, Real Friends, The Ataris, Bearings. We had Doug Cousins on episode three. Patent Pending. Oh, the list goes on and on. Eternal Boy is playing it, obviously, as well. So check out Four Chord Music Festival happening September 17th in Pittsburgh. Get your tickets, fly there, and go see this incredible show. I wish I could. I think Noah is going to be there, so maybe he's going to go check it out. So let's jump into it. My Zoom call with Rishi Ball happened on Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. Well, we're really doing it. Welcome to the show, Rishi Ball, my good friend over in Pittsburgh. How you doing, sir? I am uh, existing. That's the best we can say at this point. Yeah, this must have been a crazy year and a half for you with your festival, Four Chord Music Festival, your band, Eternal Boy. You also teach your professor. Yeah, yeah. It's been every industry I am in (laughs) or part of has been, can I swear on this or no? Yeah, you could cuss your face off. It's been fucked for <laughs> the last year and a half. So it's been, yeah. it's been, you know, we're getting by. I mean, you know, I mean, it's things started to look up. Now they don't look as up as they did before. But, you know, whatever, you adapt. That's what people do. Yeah, I mean, I've always been super impressed and inspired with all that you've got going on and you're able to juggle. I don't know when you have the time to sleep. <laughs> um, well, I don't sleep often, but I appreciate that. I feel the same about you, man. I've been a fan. Dude, I mean, I told you even when you came to Pittsburgh. I mean, I, I was a fan of Rosedale for years, dude, uh, before we even really like knew each other. And now, I mean, I'm absolutely like blown away by your new stuff. I mean, I, it's, it came out of left field for me, but um, the feeling is mutual nonetheless. Well, thanks, man. I mean, um yeah, I, I was uh, I was more of a old school DIY touring kind of guy, and that was my life. And now I'm like figuring out the social media side of things, or at least trying to with this podcast and trying to um, have a conversation about the things that we do, so that people could kind of understand where we came from and um, how and why we do these crazy things that we do. Uh, but first, I want to let people know a little more about what you do, and I want to get into where you're at with this year's Four Chord Music Fest, because not only was it canceled two years in a row because of COVID or pushed back this second year, but what happened when you heard about the Mark Hoppus situation, and where are you at with that? All, all very good questions that I've yet to really uh, talk 
about, I, I guess, openly at least, without people internally. But uh, so yeah, Four Core Music Fest uh, was booked March 2020. Uh, I announced it was Blink 182, The Used, State Champs, a bunch of other bands. Uh, obviously, people that may be listening to this know. Uh, you know, how important Blink was to me, is to me. I'm sure you feel very similar to that in that world, but um, it's been a lifelong dream to get Blink uh, for the festival that I, that I do and got it. Um, I announced on, fr- on a Monday, uh, went on sale on a Friday and the United States shut down on that following Tuesday. So uh, that first weekend was like ridiculous. Like, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, um, reception of it and the lineup and stuff was ridiculous. But, you know, then we were just in waiting period. And finally, you know, May hit. It was supposed to be in July of 2020. And, um, you know, I I spoke with with, uh, you know, Blink sounds so cool, but Blink's agent. um, And uh, we were just like, yo, this isn't going to work, obviously, you know. And so we pushed it to July 2021. Everything was ready to roll, added some bands, you know, kind of spruced up the lineup even more. And then uh, so I was ready to to um, move the date from July. I wanted to give a little more time to September because things were looking really good in, you know, May. And so Blink's agent was like, yeah, let's like push it to September if you can get all the bands like Blink's good to go. Did that contract signed, everything ready to roll. And then I got a frantic email from their agent at like three in the morning. Uh, and all, at first, all, you know, all that was said was that, yo, like, like there's been some ridiculous things happening and, and we can't, uh, you know, blinks on hold for all of 2021. So then I pried more and, you know, ultimately found out, you know, that, that Mark was diagnosed with lymphoma. And, uh, you know, at first I was like really pissed. I was like, fuck this dude. Like how, how is the, how are they going to, you know, not, how is this going to happen now again, post COVID? And when I found out, dude, I mean, it was devastating for me. I mean, for me personally, I know you're a blink guy. I think you're more of a Tom guy though, if I can, uh, <laughs> characterize you if, uh, from the outside, but it's, it's, it's crazy. And you know, it's stage four, a, you know, or four B I think it is. So wow. it's, um, it's pretty serious. I'm really upset about it. Um, obviously at that point for the festival, I had to pivot a little bit and, um, you know, their agency and their agents were super nice about it. Uh, normally agents are not very nice as you will find out. Well, they'll be nice to you now that you have a, an agent representing you, but, um, uh, agents have, agents have done me dirty in the past for sure. For Rosedale? Yeah, I mean, not. I've never actually had the chance to have an agent for Rosedale, but I've definitely had other agents for other bands kick me off bills at 6 a.m. when they found out I wasn't local. Uh, things like that. Yeah. Day of the show. Yeah. Happened, <laughs> happened, happened to me thousands of times too, man. But so yeah, so then, so I, uh, you know, I got rise against to replace blink and, and, uh, you know, it's not really a replace. There's no replacement for blink 182. I mean, there's, it just doesn't exist in our genre. So it was more of a pivot offered refunds, but Forker music festival is still happening. It's in two weeks from tomorrow, uh, September 17th in Pittsburgh, PA, um, at one of our like local or one of our, uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, like our baseball team's minor league stadium. So it's just very complicated now, obviously, you know, with, with COVID now making, you know, another push. So a lot of, most of the talk now is about, you know, mitigation of virus in the, in the, in the venue itself, but a lot of restrictions, a lot of shit that's, that's, uh, you know, maybe out of my wheelhouse that, that I'm prepping for now, but it's a go, it's almost sold out. So it's still, it's still like, um, 
you know, I think a lot of people kept tickets, you know, even though Blink had canceled, uh, rightfully so, but it's going okay. I mean, it's, it's, if this were a normal year, I would be totally stoked about absolutely everything about it between the lineup and tickets sold and, you know, the press and everything. I'd be totally stoked. But of course, you know, my responsible mind tells me, wow, this, this, this is really, really, really fucked up. Yeah. As musicians, I talk about the curse a lot and how uh, our our lives would be one insane video game if someone wanted to make a Tony Hawk Pro Skater-esque video game about trying to climb up as anyone in the industry, whether you're a musician or promoter. And uh, I think you would be a very interesting character in this video game about <laughs> brewing up. <laughs> Sick. <laughs> let's, let's do it. You've done everything else. You might as well try that. Oh, yeah, yeah. Try it. Watch some YouTube tutorials on how to create video games. <laughs> but, man, I'm so sorry to hear that. Like, uh, obviously, you know, the Hoppus thing was devastating. As much oh. as I am a huge Tom fan, I love every member of Blink. Um, like like brothers, you know, those guys raised me and um, I got to meet Mark in San Diego uh, shortly after I moved here. I was just working downtown. It was kind of, I think it was during Comic-Con when they were playing that. Just such a nice dude and I was so... Uh, wow. It just like was inspiring for a while that I was like, I'm, I'm actually meeting these dudes and we were sharing a rehearsal room with Angels and Airwaves and they what? gave us... Yeah, they gave us all their... 2019 cables because every tour they get all new cables so we have like the ultimate power running through our hands <laughs> are they, now are they Megami cables uh they're all different cables Ernie okay. Ball cables uh speaker cables that like were just kind of handmade and it's all quarter Jeez. inches which right, which, right of course every band needs XLRs but we got lots of quarter inches now <laughs> so uh, so you so you were how long have you been in California now because that was a while ago Blink did that right yeah so all of 2019 I was down here and I started working at this place that uh, they were really good friends with Angels and Airwaves and they did their private um secret show there in September uh, of this year. But in 2019, it was like those guys were coming through near the end of the year, practicing, getting ready for that tour. And we got to Damn. go see them at House of Blues. So uh, that year was like the best year of my life, man. Just finally, you know, saying yes to working a nine to five and saying yes to playing in another band that's not my own. Dude, and how weird was that? That's something I really wanted to talk to you about. I mean, you've put, I don't know, I, you know, obviously I've been doing this maybe as long as you, maybe longer, I don't know. But I know that you, I don't know if I know anybody that's put as much into them themselves and like their yeah. music. Uh, now that, that, I put that in quotations, obviously. I don't mean that in a bad way. Obviously, I mean it in a, in a real, again, not to overuse the term inspiring, but like you didn't give a shit, dude, what yeah. people thought about you, what, what people thought about the solo thing or, or whatever, dude. I mean, to go from putting that much time and effort, which I know you did, it was clear that you did, even if I, we're not close, close friends, I still knew that you, that you did. And then to go, and I guess you joined another band first in San Diego or in California. Then you started a new one with these dudes. Uh, basically, we were called Mainsail when I joined, and I had played a few shows with those dudes at Soma. Um, anytime I would tour through, and then we would hang out. And Nick was coming into the studio with me because I had started recording some of my new stuff, which is still cool. not out uh, down in Santee, El Cajon. 
So me and Nick were already like hanging out. And then when I finally moved down here, we were playing acoustic shows together. I'd play a couple mainsail songs. He'd play a couple Rosedale songs. We'd do a couple covers and make a few bucks. Um, and then they needed a bass player. And I was like, you know what? I already know half your songs. Why don't I just fill in for now? And then uh, it was like, hey, if I'm going to live down here and not play shows under Rosedale for a while, I miss playing shows. I may as well play in your band. Um, and then we lost our guitar player. He quit. And then uh, we basically just decided to start a whole new thing. Once we were on a new label and we had all these new songs, we changed the name to Summer Years after a lot of different name ideas were taken. Uh, you know, did the whole trademark thing, did the whole LLC thing, and uh, we're like, finally, this vessel that can move into uh, being a legitimate band. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally understand why people thought it was crazy that I was doing this one man thing. And that it came off as maybe, you know, entitled or narcissistic or, uh, you know, all about myself. And I totally was. And I am still of the mindset of you have to be if you're going to be an artist, you have to not give a shit what anybody thinks. You have to be all about yourself. I'm like really inspired by not only, you know, pop punk goats like Tom DeLonge, who are like, very all over the place and always thinking right. of different ideas. But even guys like Lil Wayne really inspire me because that dude is literally, he thinks he's the best rapper in the world and no one can touch him. And he's from another planet. And that has made him put out a thousand songs a year that has made him work 16 to 20 hours a day because he thinks I have this gift that no one else has. And I think he gets and a lot of these artists, you know, Lady Gaga, everybody thinks that they are um, meant to do this music thing, even though more than ever, it's so saturated and everybody thinks they are. But as soon as like I took a step back and joined another band and worked a nine to five, I started getting very humbled and realizing, wait, I maybe can have a band or maybe people do want to see me with a band, even though it's... I'm a control freak and I can't get everybody to play the parts exactly how I play them. And that's frustrating to me. Um, but I found a couple of musicians down here who are willing to put up with my uh, OCD for now. We'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, have a I have a bunch of friends like you too. I mean, even here in Pittsburgh, there's a, a good friend of mine that, you know, has that mentality. I think that, you know, I guess I came from the mindset always that like I, I'm not a good musician. I'm a really good songwriter, I think, you know, uh, and I think that 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 changes my stance on at least from the actual like craft of, of writing music and being a musician. Like, I, I think I'm a mediocre musician. Granted, I do play all the, I can play all the instruments. Right. But at the end of the day, I realized a long time ago that being a okay musician and writing great songs, like everybody can do that. So what is the competitive advantage going to be? You know, how are you going to differentiate yourself? So I really focus much more on the social factor, you know, maybe six years ago. And then we, you know, we were called the space pimps for years and we did a rebrand. So, I mean, it's not the exact same as, you know, as what you did here with summer years, but like, it's a similar situation that I, I realized that I needed to really invest in the, um, 
in the social capital as opposed to, you know, always having the best recordings and always, you know, going with a producer, getting Ted Jensen to master it and getting Crystal Rao to mix it like that. Though that shit to you and me is like still so cool. And like I, a friend of mine's band just got mixed by Tom Lord Alge. And I was like, like a part of me, like that little thing inside of me, it was like, oh fuck, they, I got to do that. They did it. Right. But then I'm like, yo dude, like we're all on the same team. So like if you succeed, you know, I feel like in a way everybody, everybody succeeds, you know? Yeah, and this came up with uh, my boss and keyboard player in summer years and roommate Noah. He was on the podcast. It's like, it, it, where do you? Where is it most important these days to invest your time and money? And it's funny how all artists, especially in our genre, kind of start out thinking, I got to have the best gear. Like, I got to get the gear <laughs> that the big bands have. I got to have an yep. 810. I got to have a 412. I got to be loud. Um, and then you soon realize like, oh, wait, that stuff isn't going to make me sound good. The mix and master and production is what really matters. OK, I got to invest my money there. And then you get a great sounding recording. And then you're like, wait, none of this means anything if no one is going to hear it. I need, <laughs> you know, I need to invest in uh, advertising and, you know, oh, yeah. adver- as crazy as it seems to just throw a hundred dollars at Facebook and hope people see you. Um, and how do you even do that? How do you target it? And you're a marketing guru, so how how do you how do you do it? Like for for a band, just like finally realizing that wait, it's not about having the best recording; it's about marketing. What's the right. What's the first thing you would tell them to do? Oh my God, dude! That, I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a that's a semester long course, my friend. But um, <laughs> so so right up front for me, it's all about organization, right? So for years and years and years, like, and we had no track record or legitimate history of how many records we sold other than the ones that were, you know, on, on iTunes or before, right before streaming hit. So to me, right up front was like, yo, we got to get this shit organized. So, you know, when, when Rolling Stone mag, I'm trying to pitch us to Rolling Stone magazine and they're like, yo, your socials are okay, but we need to see a track record of history of sales. It's like, all right, well, let's do that. So the first thing is always to be organized. Um, the biggest thing that we did for Eternal Boy that, that changed our, we'll say trajectory was getting a, a Nielsen SoundScan account. And um, ultimately I started a label outside of Four Core Music Festival called Four Core Music. And I got it through the label and that tracked every record we sold. When we were on tour in 2018, when we first changed the name and we had released our first record, we were on tour selling, you know, a hundred CDs a night. Whether it was whether it was fifty at a show or twenty in a parking lot, mm. like now I can actually legitimately track all this, and people can see it's not just oh you're that band that was on Warp Tour and followed it and sold three hundred CDs a day that I can't document. So that's first is organization. Um, there's something in marketing called integrated marketing, which is essentially making sure that all of your platforms are exactly the same, right? In terms of aesthetic, in terms of vibe, in terms of feel. Because when a consumer goes or a listener goes. They're used to already going to a Nike.com. They're used to going to a, you know, a, a Spotify.com and where everything is branded perfectly. Everything is in place. So that's number one is if your songs kick ass, which is presumably they would, you got to get organized. And then the, the second thing to that is something called conversion rate. So I'm no longer... I am no longer impressed with how many likes you have on Facebook. I am no longer impressed. The industry is no longer impressed about how many, 
you know, how many Instagram followers you have. What matters is the amount of fans you can convert. So if you have 100 followers on Instagram and 99 buy your record, that is exactly what I want rather than having a million followers and 16 be converted. So I'm much more focused on catering to your already existing fan base. And then ultimately that has a ripple effect um, down the line. Okay, so converting fans from uh, basically, uh, I, I heard this in a audio book recently, um, from basically uh, beginner fans to purchasing fans. Everybody, 100%. Yeah, everybody talks about how all you need, you don't need to, to be a Grammy-winning artist to make it in the music industry. You just need a 1,000 loyal fans that are willing to spend 50 to to $100 a year on your band. Hundred percent, and dude, that is every business. Like I do consulting mm -hmm. with businesses, also outside of like, as being a professor and stuff. It's like the, these companies and brands and bands and artists and record labels are so fixated on you know your Spotify numbers, your this, your that. I am um, a much bigger advocate on. Uh, and again, you know, when I made that decision, and, and you know, when we changed the name to Eternal Boy, and I got serious about conversion rates, we are a profitable band at this point. We are able to obviously completely be self-sufficient and then some, if we want to go tour the UK, I mean, you know, we, we tour internationally probably when it's not a pandemic, right. you know, uh, pretty often it's not a big deal. Now, nobody has to worry about money for tickets. No one has to worry about traveling, you know, in a van when we get there. Um, it's all about conversion rates. It's about making the current existing fan base uh, happy. And again, that's not ignoring new fans, but if you get those 1000 fans, it is impossible for that to not go viral to other people. Not, yeah. not like viral completely, but viral to their friends and their family and their, you know, people that they're around. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's just my thing with that is in music, for some reason, it's hard to show how many how how much conversion you're getting out of your fans to, to someone like a label or maybe it just is for me. But I had a, I had a lot of followers, still kind of do, and yeah. I follow everybody back because of that Warped Tour hustle in the parking lot, right? Like, that's how I probably got the majority of my followers. And then when I'd go out on tour, I was profitable, but it didn't really look that way because I was doing such small-scale venues and such small-scale things. It was all very DIY. I didn't have many sure. middlemen. I, I, a lot of these shows, I was becoming the promoter, and, and that's kind of why I wanted to hit the brakes on it, too, is I was kind of tired of spending six to eight hours a day being a promoter, making sure the bands picked up their tickets, designing the ticket, getting the ticket printed at the local Dude. Pittsburgh print shop. It becomes a full-time job, and then at the end of the five-month tour, I'm like, when's the last time I wrote a freaking song? Dude, um, that's, spot, that's, that's spot on. And, you know, like, I live in, like, if you could look at my, like, the office that I have right now, I mean, like, it is to the brim, dude. I have... 24 hand sanitizing stations I just bought from staples.com for the <laughs> festival. I have fucking all access pass. I have wristbands. I have, you know, I have riders for bands, alcohol buys. I mean, it really, you have, you know, I don't need to tell you this. I, I, I told you this in Pittsburgh, but like, did you have to love the grind? I think to really, um, to do it, but that doesn't mean that you're not going to get burnt out just because you love grinding and you're grinding. I think that, you know, with, you know, in terms of conversion rates and in terms of um, how do you show that, that's a large reason why I ultimately um, 
decided to do the sound scan thing and it's expensive. Mm -hmm. It can be expensive to hold an account. It can be expensive to, to do that whole thing, but that's one trackable thing that's indisputable, right? I, I mean, we don't fuck with our Spotify numbers or any, I don't give a shit about any of it. I mean, I do care. I don't give a shit about like what it looks like to hopeless records. I don't care what right. it looks like to, to Virgin. And as you probably have, we've had every close call you could think of with every label that you could possibly imagine. And at the end of the day, they're all the same, man. All they are in 2021 is a marketing firm. Distribution, you do not need them anymore. All you need them for is their YouTube subscription channel, the, the, you know, the, the popular by association tag, which certainly works. Um, of course, it opens doors to agents, so on and so forth, and management. But yeah. at the end of the day, it's, it's marketing. It's all about marketing. <laughs> Those four things, though, that you just listed are like... Everybody thinks that I'm this DIY guy who's all against having an agent, having a label, and that I'm pushing away that as well as I'm pushing away band members. But the truth is I want all of that stuff because I see the the, the fruits that come from it. Um, and I, I need that SoundScan account and I I don't want to spend the money on doing it. So if a label right. wants to help me, that's awesome. So at what cost though? You need to always ask yourself at what, I mean, dude, like we're like what in our early thirties here now. Right. So it's like, it's like, I, I am, I'm like, how do I say this without sounding like I've been jaded by every record label and told to fuck off by every record label. I, I'm just, I'm just not impressed anymore when someone comes to me and says, dude, we just signed a fucking hopeless record. And I'm not saying you are, I'm just saying that, to me, when I was young, and, and you know, I really treasure those times when I was young. As I know you do, I've heard the stories at your Rosedale shows, talking about your first concert, your first guitar, like your first, like, <laughs> it is, it is like romanticized for me in my brain, even in my early 30s. It's like, that nothing will ever touch that, that point in time. But I'm not that person in terms of business-minded anymore. Um, and I know that at what cost is always what I ask every label. We met, right sure. when we changed the band name, right when we changed the band name in 2018, we met with a really big record label. And they said, you know, we, I was very, very recalcitrant to wanting to change the band name. I basically told him to fuck off. And then three months later, we changed it anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, I think that, uh, you know, I was not, I'm not ready to, I'm not willing to give up certain things that every record label and every booking agent and not every booking agent, but every record label is what wants to take four core music. I've signed four or five bands. I'll show you a copy of the contracts, dude. They're not, they are, they are, they are not the traditional, you know, in perpetuity contracts, but I just, am, I'm a little jaded, I think by, by the label and like the, the, um, the outside, the candy coated shell, I'm signed to this label or we're managed by this. I think the most important thing you need is a booking agent, which is why I messaged you when I found out <laughs> that you did that. I think that that is the end all be all. And most of the time, Mike, they will, you will get signed and then you will get forced to a, a booking agency because this label has, you know, connections or they're friends with. You have done it backwards, which is what I will tell every single band on planet Earth to do. Yeah. Um, now, my point was, so I, I'm never really going after the, uh, what's the word, clout of having a label. Yeah. My whole thing is I see the value in a team. And I think a lot of people don't realize that because I'm Mr. DIY. But I definitely see the value in a team, especially if everybody is loving the grind and everyone's after the same vision and purpose sure. and intentions. And with a with this label that we're on, NT Records, they've 
done everything that we wanted a label to do for us. They've marketed us. And I don't think that the labels are as uh, nasty as a lot of musicians uh, come to realize they are. Now, I've heard a lot of horror stories, but my mind is, my mind always goes back to, to standing outside of the San Francisco venue um, thinking like, wow, this is getting so hard to do this on my own. I could really use some help. Night after night after night going yeah. through that epiphany of, oh my gosh, when when am I going to get my break? And then right. I see other bands able to go on these big tours because they got on that agency because they were on that label and the agency is only willing to work with them because they like that relationship with that label. So I get that that's how the industry works. So that's kind of what I'm chasing cool. with, with my new stuff is like, I just need some help. And to your question at what cost, I stand from where I am as this DIY guy in my 30s and think, man, as long as I am living night to night with that dream that I've had since I was 14, which I feel like some nights I am, like some nights I was able to live that on my yeah. own. I'm playing the big venue in Colorado. I'm playing, I got, I, I managed to squeeze my way on that Hawthorne Heights show. Um, so in a lot of ways, I'm like, all right, I'm at that stage that I wanted to be at, at 18 still. And to get to the next level has been so hard. And a lot of my mentors are like, well, why don't you try and like pitch it to this label and get a little bit of help? I'm like, please do help me do that. Um, so that's another reason why I took a step back and I was like, it's time to get to the next level. I can't keep spinning my tires. I thought I was going to, as, as quick as I'm gaining followers doing this thing, I'm losing yeah. just as many as they have kids and move on as well. Right. Yeah. Uh, so to the yep. thousand fans, it's like, yeah, that seems like, Hey, I'm getting a hundred each tour. All I got to do is 10 tours. It doesn't necessarily work that way, especially when you're doing it all yourself. A hundred leave as quick as a hundred come. Very, very good point. And you know, I guess I, I now that I'm retrospectively thinking, like I'm not, I'm not anti-team. I guess, um, you know, a team is super important. Obviously, and you know, you don't always have the time to do some of the the, the micro level, you know, uh, things that that bands have to do. And that's what a label does. That's what a manager can do and a booking agent can do. And it lets you focus on things that you need to do. The, the thing is, is that as you know, you know, there are very few legitimate booking agents. There are very few legitimate record labels. So when people come to me and say, yo, check out our team, dude, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, it's like, oh, cool, dude. <laughs> it's like the guy that booked my show in Rochester, New York is your manager. You know, like I, and like, no, but dude, don't get me wrong. Those you know, I believe in people believing in what you're doing a hundred percent unequivocally without equivocation. I will work with a bum on the street if they're like, dude, like I can't get your, your shit out of my brain. You know, I just think I always ask at what cost, because I think that at the end of the day, getting taken advantage of is worse than, than, um, anything you could possibly imagine. I agree. I agree with that. And that reminds me like, you, the the one thing that you were harping on me for at that Pittsburgh show was why don't you get a band at least so you have a team to help you move this 100%. trailer worth of gear down the <laughs> stairs and, and and you stuck around even though you had an early morning I think it was like a Wednesday or Thursday night yeah I remember and helped me unload and um, and I, I kept saying to you dude I will gladly unload all this gear for an extra hour than have to deal with how band members have taken advantage of me, left me in the middle of tours. Um, 
And, and honestly, like the one man show was going way better for me because people saw that they were like, this guy is done with the bullshit and he's given us all he's got. And 100%. I, I literally, I literally hired a bum for $5 to, <laughs> to help me get all that gear up to the smiling, uh, smile, smiling moose, the smiling, moose smiling moose before anybody got there. He was like, you need a hand, you need a hand with all this. I'm like, actually there's four cases that I could really use your hand getting up these stairs. Dude. <laughs> God bless you or whatever you believe in bless you dude that is that is uh you know we're a three piece and you know sometimes for bigger tours or bigger shows like we'll travel with people but obviously for the 75% of it we don't and you know that stuff really does get to a lot of people. And again, it's like, it, it was really just like almost like an, uh, an, an aha moment for me where I was like, this fucking dude is doing it himself. Have you been to lacrosse, Wisconsin to the warehouse? Many times. I burst my appendix loading all that gear up that, up the, up those stairs. I hope American health insurance covered that for you. They did. It was Obamacare at the time. They came in. They were like, hey, so your work permit says you make under 10000 a year. Is that true? I'm like, yep. They're like, sign here. I'm like, sweet. <laughs> did they have to remove it? Uh, it had, so it, it was already – I had an appendicitis for five days, and I didn't know. I was just in a lot of pain. And then so I burst. played lacrosse, Wisconsin, and was sweating buckets loading up those 47 stairs. And then I slept like a baby that night, drove home from the end of that tour – and then five days later, I was all full of toxins from the appendix bursting. So, oh, God. Yeah. So you were back home whenever you had to have surgery and shit? No, I started another tour two days after I got home, meeting a band in Long Island. And the first show I played with the band that night, I couldn't sleep, tried going to the pharmacy. And then the morning, uh, that morning, I checked into a Long Island hospital oh. for like eight days. Yeah. Dude, those, you know, the thing that, you know, I always go back to is that like why we're doing this, like that story right there is why we're doing it. You know what I mean? Like, like metaphorically speaking, like, no, I don't want you to have appendicitis or me either. But like right. those stories are just like ne no one's ever taken that away from us or you, you know? Yeah, there's uh, like uh, so many near death experiences with just driving the van and um, breaking down and, and also like. Another thing that I wanted to ask you about with the whole um, converting fans is like, for instance, when my van broke down, uh, a fan came forward and did a crowdfunder for me, which looked really good to uh, my fans and labels was like, oh, that's my- Is that Tom calling you? That was my timer to restart the camera, which I already did it because I saw it stuff. <laughs> my camera records 30 minutes and it's annoying. I have to reset it every time. <laughs> nice. Uh, um, but I was going to ask if, if you've- if your band has done any like crowdfunding where that like really proves fans converting and stepping up. Yeah. Every, uh, the, every, every awkward, er, awkward phase. That's the name of our first record. Every eternal boy record was crowdsourced. And every time it went three, 400% over what we had asked for. And, wow. um, it is humbling. You know, I do a part of me is, does feel a little weird about those. I mean, we fulfill every one of them. I mean, uh, but it, it feels weird, but yeah, I mean, there, there are moments in time where you're like, it, it galvanizes you and you're like, oh my God, like this is, this is it, dude. Like this is why we're here. And it's probably 20% of being in a band is like, you get those moments. I think maybe it's fair saying 20 to 25%. And they are enough to galvanize me every time and be like, okay, here's why I'm doing this. Here's why, you know, we spend seven months a year trying to do this. But the conversion part, I think is, is in a, happens in a multiplicity of ways. It can happen in that kind of 
you know, weird moment where somebody steps forward and crowdsources a new van, a van for you. I mean, that is a moment of a conversion. Um, it can be that person that comments, yo, I just saw this ad on Facebook for this. Or like, I saw this ad on YouTube. Like, how did I not know about you? Yeah. Or maybe it's the, maybe it's the, the merch order from Singapore that says, yo dude, me and my friends like can't get enough of this. Like, and they, you know, buy a bunch of, a bunch of merch that you end up losing money on sending it to Singapore, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, the conversion rates come in, 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 a, in a plethora of ways. If we're talking about digital conversion rates, you're talking about uh, various levels. First, you need to prompt them. They need to see it. They need to like it. And then they need to physically go and like your page or engage with you on social media. I, that stuff can be done very easily on mm-hmm. Facebook marketing or Instagram marketing. Once they have liked your page, you know, you're, we have 25,000 Facebook likes. Like, you know, we better be converting at least 25% of those or I'm not doing my job. Right. You know, um, it's a, once you get to that point, it gets even more difficult, believe it or not. Liking your page is like 2% of the battle. It's getting them to convert from that point. Um, and again, coming to a show, conversion rate, buying merch, conversion rate, Spotify liking you or listening, conversion rate. So they come in different ways, but um, it's all about getting those conversions and then tracking them. So knowing analytics and knowing how to you know, use the interface, Google Analytics for it. And, and um, it all becomes challenging to do it, quote unquote, correctly. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up because getting that like or follow is the, is the easy part. And then converting after that is so difficult um, because you're still trying to juggle the getting fans to come follow you, but you're also trying to get them to convert. And then you're also trying to track who has converted and if it's worth going to Lacrosse, Wisconsin to play, because ha- do you have sales from that or do you just have YouTube views? Exactly. Uh, so that's, that's a really valid point. So th- back to my point of getting a team Sorry. and a label. No, no, this is, this is great. As you led me back to this is like, I feel overwhelmed even thinking about managing all that. And I know that a label always doesn't, uh, we've been lucky enough to have a team that is really experienced and knows how to handle that stuff and realizes right away that they have to, because I think a lot of these guys starting labels don't realize that. Yeah. And, uh, are, are basically just a fifth band member or sixth band member or whatever, um, figuring it out as they go. Um, so I hit a wall where I felt like that's where I'm at is like, wait, I have to figure, I have to figure out how to target market my new music video that I just spent $3,000 on. Where do I begin? Um, so it's amazing. All great points. Yeah. Like it's great that you know how to do all that, but I already feel like I'm over in over my head with, uh, writing songs and, uh, now I'm doing this podcast, which I enjoy doing. And I, I learn a lot about the stuff that I need to learn about through this literally. Right. Um, but when I was like touring, especially it was like, well, when am I going to do that? Like, when am I going to sit down and figure all that out? It's just, dude, it's, it's, it's an, you know, sometimes, sometimes when I, you know, cause I was booking the festival when our, when eternal boys, new record, bad days over was coming out in, in April. And, I sat down at probably three, four days in a row and looking at a blank computer screen saying, I am so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to begin. Um, and I think that that feeling is very natural to have. Uh, it's how you kind of manifest that into like, can you spend, 
Can you spend eight hours learning how to, you know, be Google Analytics certified? No, you can, you, you oftentimes cannot devote the time to do that. Um, a competent label and team is uh, incredibly important. I just got a notification that Mark Hoppus is now live on Twitch. Did you get that too? Oh, no, no. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> But uh, so, so it's, it's very important to get a competent team. I mean, you know, unfortunately, most people aren't as competent as they as they as they should be. But I think you and I still live in the in the in the romanticized version of the music scene, too, where it's like, who cares about that shit? Let's yeah. fucking grind it, go on tour and the label's going to do all that, you know, yep. um, which it's just never, ever, ever. Unfortunately, I always tell I always tell people like younger people or bands like, dude, you and I and our generation, there is no better time to have grown up than you and I did. There is there is literally the only thing that could have been better is that if your band and my band blew up in 2006, you know, for sure. Um, yeah. But we did. There's no better time to have grown up because we lived through that romanticizing part. And nowadays, it's just like it's just different. You know, it's it's not bad, different, but it's different in a in a more kind of like you know uh, dream way. Like our our dreams were so potent when we were 16, 17, and eighteen, and it still is for me. Which is why I'm in my 30s still doing it. You know what I mean? I mean, it's still such an important thing. But uh, if I could comment on your team, your team is great. Uh, honest to God, I, I think that in terms of summer years, uh, and I don't know how much you want to talk about, you know, your band and, and that back end of it, if that's the point or anything. But I do think that uh, your team is 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 kind of like what you need to have. And you did it before you played a show. So fuck you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny that like it kind, it kind of happens that way. Now, we we did get signed as Mainsail way before we announced any of this. And um Luckily, what I was able to bring to our small team, which was just a four-piece band at the time, was touring up the West Coast, knowing how to be a little DIY booking agent and make sure that the bands all get their friends to come out. And that inevitably led to us being discovered by some of Pat Magnarella's team at just a small backyard show. But like having those dates on your website of like, oh, these guys have one night off a week? Like, wow, and they're just starting out? Uh, is that it, what Mainsail was? They were touring as much as Rosedale was? Uh, smaller, but it was like we would do a three-week run, and then in November we did another two-week run. Um, but it was a lot of the venues and bands that Rosedale had right. been playing with on the West Coast. Got um, it. Stepping up and being like, yeah, sure, you know, you could play our show in Vegas. Um, so, and Pat, is that is that the same Pat that was the Goo Goo Dolls? Yeah, he's still managing Manager? the Goo Goo Dolls, um, and I think he managed Rise Against for Rise a while. Rise Against, yeah. Uh, and he was managing Green Day, and then now you know he wants to have this passion project of being a label, and uh, we're really lucky to be where we are in the world and getting wow. hooked up with him. Um, and you know, not to say that I was the whole reason we got signed. There, we Mainsail already had like a good following, especially at this in the Soma world down here in San Diego. So it was just it was kind of easy for me to jump into this band and take it to the little steps that Rosedale was able to keep, you know, yeah, yeah. doing right, dude. I mean, there's some there's something to be said about you know combining your work ethic in any project. You know what I mean? I, I feel like someone like you could parlay to be an agent so easily. You know, someone like you could parlay into be wor- working at, as an A&R to label so easily. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've heard that many times, even from some, some pretty uh, reputable agents and managers, but it's like that, that to me is like, 
oh no, what have I done? I've never wanted to be that. I've never wanted to be. And I look at someone like you where you like not only book your own tours and get out there and tour like I did, but you're like, hey, if I'm not going to get on a huge stage at a huge festival, I'm going to make a festival with a huge stage and put my own band on it. And that's like everything that Kevin Lyman told us to do. Dude, right? <laughs> Literally dude. right there. We could spend a whole <laughs> week. Let's, let's call him. I'm going to add him to the call. One sec. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, uh, he, I mean, he, he taught, he pretty much taught me everything. I know. I mean, the space was did a whole warp tour many years. Uh, then we followed a tour where he said he, he would never put us on again if we didn't stop. And then, you know, in the last, the last run, he put eternal boy on when we returned. I don't know, man, there, there's been very few people that have ever helped me personally. I can name them on one hand and Kevin Lyman happens to be one of them. So that is everything that Kevin Lyman said, but you know, I, I do think that, I do think that there's value in, doing, you know, doing what I did, what I do, you know, I mean, obviously if I want four chord to be in every city, you know, I mean, I want four chord to be something like that, but at the same token in doing all this, I am becoming a control, a control freak, which I don't, I don't like. Um, <laughs> I feel that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't like, and I do like, it's like, I always thought that there needs to be one person in a band that does all this stuff. You can't have like too many chefs in the kitchen or it ends up becoming way too dangerous and toxic for band members and stuff. So it's good to have somebody that there is a, you or me in a band, but like now it's like, I want to know what towels are going to be purchased for the band's on stage <laughs> towels so I can, you know, price check it. I want to know where they're getting the liquor from. And I'm, I find myself being like, dude, just fucking let it go, dude. And let, you know, let it, let it happen, you know? So it, it, it could push you in many different directions. Yeah. And, and it creates a lot more work because in a lot, when it comes to a lot of things in this band, I'm the only one who knows how to do that task. And I'm the only Are one. Are you that guy in this band still? Oh, totally. Setting up lights, Good. programming the lights, um, making sure that everything to do with the show is organized. And um, luckily, the agent kind of told us, you know, hit pause on booking all these tours and shows because we want to get you to sell out the Casbah so we can pitch you to some bigger tours. And I'm like, Okay, I, I don't have to do the booking anymore, but it's like, but we need you to edit our music. We need you to edit a live music video. So figure that out. <laughs> and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm the one who knows how to do that. So a lot, I get, I get overwhelmed with that stuff because I'm also over here like, I'm only getting pulled further and further from my entitled vision that I had in up to 2018 that was me, 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 I'm so important and everybody's going to get to see how fantastic I am once this is done. I'm, I'm trying to find an hour or two where I could squeeze in some songwriting sessions and demo it and, uh, you know, those used to be the things that were churning in my head all the time. It's like, well, can that second verse be better? And now I'm like, oh man, I got to run around and, and make this work and that work. And it was, oh, yeah. the, it was the same way when I was touring too. I can't imagine booking my own festival and running that and having huge bands and having to deal with their riders and all that. But like, you know, that's it's insane, but it, it takes I us away from that dream essentially. It, it does feel that way, but then, you know, it, you're absolutely right. I can't, I mean, I really can't argue against what you're saying. That's, you articulated it better than I could. Uh, but there are moments where like, you know, I'm at the festival and you know, there's everything you could possibly go wrong goes wrong. And then like, you look out and you're like, dude, there are 10,000 people here. You know, or like, dude, like eternal boy just played the biggest, I'm, I'm speaking hopefully in two weeks, 
it, you know, if or when four court happens, yeah. you know, knock on wood that all that's going to happen. You know, that will be the biggest domestic U.S. show that Eternal Boy will ever has ever played um, or the Spaceman's ever played. So it's like what I look at that as is, you know what? Fuck the booking agent that told me that I look like Jimmy Neutron and I should cut my hair. Fuck the dude that told me that I should lose 10 pounds, you know, from a major record label. It's like, let's just do it and get those bands that are on those labels here, you know? Um, and I'm really motivated to do that. I'm really motivated to, um, I have a, I have a fire that in me that I, you know, I don't really know where it's derived from considering like my whole family are like in the medical field. They're all doctors and (laughs) nurses and like, you know, I don't know where it came from, but I really value it and I hope that the spark never goes out because I do uh, find my, uh, I just do, I find my like moment, my drug there. Like I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do any, any shit like that. But like, that is my drug, dude. It's like, you know, I, I'm going to frame Well, I was going to frame before, you know, Blink wasn't able to play. Dude, that confirmation email, subject title, Blink 182 confirmed four core music fest and seeing Eternal Boy's name four, four names down from Blink. It's like, dude. Like a 17 year old, it wouldn't even be a possibility. Like it could, you know, it's, so I still find a lot of joy in that um, process. I love the process. I really enjoy every day waking up, looking at ticket counts, seeing, you know, where, you know, where are the ticket counts coming from? You know, do I, you know, if they're, if they're, you know, a ton in Ohio, do I increase the ad spend in Ohio? Do we get a, a street team on the ground in Columbus at Sad Summerfest, which was three days ago in Columbus and have them hand out flyers? You know, it's a combo of the new and old school. Old school is the only way to go for me. That's a good way to put it. A combo of the new school and the old school. And um, those little payoffs that you get from doing that, boring behind the scenes grinding i'm glad that you find it uh entertaining and and it and it uh inspires you even more and it's fun for you i mean i won't lie there's i getting those confirmation emails from big venues for me too it it is exciting it's like fuck yeah those the things that i've been trying to figure out for years i'm finally figuring out like 22 year old me would be so proud right now Uh, right so yeah those little payoffs are huge and man but it is uh, it i do understand your side though like there comes a point like if you know where you gotta you gotta focus on your music you know and and i take time out you know all the time to write songs I'm, i'm i'm actually working with uh um, a few like people that I met other, the five people that helped me in the scene, like, you know, I'm writing songs for like other people and other genres, you know, that, that is making me like exponentially a better songwriter, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I still, I still, I just, I, those, those little moments for me, like, it's not, Oh, even that confirmation email, but it's that dude did that fuck this fucking melody. I just came up with like, like we have band practice at four thirty today here. Right. Uh, and it's like, we're working on this new song that is not anything that, that, you know, we would ever do. And it's like, those moments are still so important to me. Like I always, th- I, now I'm at the point in my life where I'm like, dude, like when is this all going to end? Mm-hmm. You know? And that really scares me. Cause like, dude, I'm not going to be 50 playing, you know, pop punk. You know what I mean? I'm not going to be, maybe I will actually, I don't know. But, uh, you know, you start getting to the point where you're early on, you're like, dude, like when am I going to be 21? Like, fuck dude, we need to get on the road. My parents won't let me like, Oh, and now you're like 30 and I'm like, Oh dude, like what the fuck? Like I should have, I should have done it at this point, you know? But all that stuff crosses your brain when you're when you when you grind as hard as you or I. Yeah, um, you know, 
I'm of the mindset of as long as I'm evolving and doing what I love, maybe it's not going to be anything close to pop punk anymore. And a lot of my stuff, my newer stuff is a lot uh, more pop radio, maybe even indie. And I never really considered myself an indie fan. I just uh, naturally kind of tied the two together and um, went after sounds that I liked. And uh, I'm sure you guys are doing the same thing and you're really proud of these new songs. And yeah, like I talk about this all the time with guests on my podcast is like working in other genres with other artists is so beneficial to evolving your own music and getting out of the same you know progressions and melodies that you've already used and sounds oh yeah um so i'm excited to see some of your new stuff i love the new album by the way congrats Thank on you. that yeah thanks are you are you are you so when you say you're writing stuff that's more indie is that rosedale stuff under rosedale it's going to be under a new name because i've had too many issues with this name rosedale that uh especially in the marketing side and, and like getting new people to find me i've gotten right. emails and messages and comments i've been looking for your music for two years and there's so many other Rosedales and I finally found this song um and then I also have this band from Chicago called the Rosdales that's spelled the same that has been telling me to change my name since 2009 so what they well they they went and trademarked it but I know they're they've they handed us uh, papers and cease uh, and desist. Yeah, and they called a couple venues on our very first American tour. Fuck and, off! And managed to cancel the show because they said we're gonna we're gonna basically everything that's made at the door we're gonna have and it's just are been they a like a mess. legitimate band? They tour and they they've been around since two thousand four. They changed their name to the Rosdales after being called the Onlys and I don't know. I don't want to give them too much publicity here, <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to call my new stuff right, yet, right. but um, I, I do kind of want to just shop it around as the dude who used to be Rosedale is going to be called something else. And if they're like, hey, just call it Mike Liorti, I'm not going to say no, um, but I would like to just have a name that is easily searchable and is unique and is clever. And uh, that's been totally. really hard to find. <laughs> dude, dude. Yeah. Watch, watch 90s movies and, and see what they see things and words they say in it. That's what, that's what we do all the time. We need to find song names. Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, are you so but summer summer I was about to say summer wars by accident because you know there is a very popular pop punk band from North Carolina called summer wars Uh, but summer years uh, is that that's your priority right now uh, it's my side priority. It, it always has been since I joined Mainsail. But, you know, we have management that, well, we actually don't have management, but the label kind of acts as our management uh, and tells us what to do. And then, you know, a lot of the times that's me going and recording three hours of, hey, this is Summer Years and you're listening to QSI radio, blah, blah, blah. Just little tasks like that. I'll yeah definitely drop everything and do it um, so they're big push they're big push to radio i noticed you guys have a lot of a lot on your instagram and stuff you guys have a lot of uh seems like a radio push both digitally and and physical a or fm radio yeah um we've gotten on a couple stations in new york and Already at 91X, even Mainsail uh, got a lot of love there from Tim Piles. Very uh, cool. Yeah, so we've been like already on a little bit of a head start with that, and I think that's another reason why uh, Pat and his team were like, "Wow, these guys like you know are more than just a local band." Um, 
the song's so good, dude. The song, Thanks, the, man. Thank you. I, I'm, I'm not no bullshit, dude. It's just like I, I could even show you my. I don't even want to show you the, the play number on my iTunes <laughs> or on my Spotify. It's Thanks, like man. it is so refreshingly old school, but it's not. You know, it's like so. It's just exactly, and I don't know the dudes in your band, but like based on that song, like I already know, you know, what, you know, where their heads are at in terms of their influence. But dude, it is just me and my friends here, like a bunch of bands in Pittsburgh. I'm friends with like the guys on Punchline, um, a band called Logal Loretta from Pittsburgh. Like that's all we listen to here, man. It really, it's such a good fucking song. It's so solid. It's so simple, but like the melody is just so perfect, man. Thank you. Yeah. Nick was the one who wrote that song and like, I, I was kind of in the studio as they were tracking it and contributed the woes. And other than that, it's uh, Nick is totally one of us, you know, grew up in the early 2000s punk rock scene. And is that the lead singer? <laughs> yeah, Nick's the lead singer. And so that's why, like, when we hung out when I was touring down here and we started playing acoustic shows when I moved down here, it was like, it just makes sense to team up with someone who actually gets it and understands this and i've even found a drummer down in san diego now that uh is totally travis barker-esque and understands my my parts and my songs so um it's great to relocate down here and have all that going um it's just been a little overwhelming getting like back to my groove of like i'm gonna get all these songs exactly how i want them and then i'm gonna go out on a big tour it's like especially with covid it's kind of forced me to hit pause on all that 100 percent um, but I feel the same way. I, I feel, I feel the same way. Uh, I, it was a much needed break. Um, not saying I wanted it, but you know, it's, it's, it was a break that really was, you know, very reflective, you know, of, 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 uh, just, just kind of one appreciating what, what I had whenever mm-hmm. COVID wasn't around and also appreciating that, you know, it's okay to take a break. I mean, it's, you're not breaking up. You're not done playing music. It's okay to take two months and be like, yo, dude, I'm just going to go chill, write some music, you know, go on the beach, whatever you do, you know? Yeah, that's such a good point. I mean, I've had friends tell me like, dude, why don't you just take a year off and like rebrand and figure all this out? Like you're just spinning your tires. And I was always like, no, like I'm making new fans when I get out there. I can't just hit pause on making new fans. I'm not at a thousand fans yet. And uh, then like this, this break was like, and moving here in general was kind of like, uh, hey, why don't you just like try saying yes to other things and very good point and see what happens and i got huge opportunities for rosedale because of it i got to play a almost sold out house of blues main stage show because i was in mainsail mainsail couldn't do it and i got on it you know a huge it was a free event so everyone was able to come out and see what i did and ever since then i go to shows and people come up to me all the time like hey you're that one man band rosedale i saw you at house of blues and i'm like (laughs) wow it finally happened when i hit pause like who would have thought (laughs) do do you miss uh, anything about toronto or ontario uh, I mean, going to Leaf games and Raptor games with my dad, uh, hanging out with my cat. Other than that, I mean, the music scene was not that great to me. I'm going to be honest. I, I liked going to the Horseshoe. I liked seeing some of my favorite bands come through Toronto. I love the big shows. I love the small shows. But whenever I would play, it seemed like 
everyone was just canceling and not coming out and and yeah I, I get that in a lot of markets across the country and i get it like I, I didn't have the team behind me to make it a really enticing show to come out to especially if it said five dollars it's like the perception is like oh it's going to be like my cousin's band who played for ten dollars like it's going to be worse than that uh or whatever it's, they're thinking yeah yeah it's a good point i mean yeah i mean yeah, you know, you talk about value, you know, yeah. and what what kind of value is it when you get music for free or you pay a quarter of a penny for music? I mean, music in general, I think, has devalued a lot over the last decade. But you know, <laughs> I do think there's some there's still some value over cheap, you know, cheap DIY VFW shows. But to the person that like goes to see like Sarah McLaughlin and Dave Matthews band at like a big concert. And then they're like, they're paying a hundred bucks. I'm like, this is $5. Like, I don't get it. Like, is this going to be like a Metallica cover band? Right, right, right. And, and I'm not saying the ticket price has everything to do with it. I just sure. feel like I'm designing the flyer and, I know. <laughs> you know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, but in, like Toronto's a great city. I love it there. And I have a lot of amazing friends there that would come out and support. Um, and I, I would, you know, manage to get a little bit of a following off of a big show that would, uh, realize that I wasn't this big shot that, that so they no longer cared anymore. And I just right. felt like I needed to get to a place where everyone actually understood what I was after and enjoyed the sound that I was making. And San Diego always seemed to be that place. There's a few other really great markets that I loved coming through. And thanks to a lot of great friends that are of the mindset of us, of like the early 2000s punk rock sound, um, I lucked out in some random markets some Very nights. Cool. But it's like, you know... If we could have a whole hour conversation on the value of music and uh, I just I just feel like um, we could talk forever Rishi we could man we could <laughs> uh, I, I really hope we do eventually yeah I, I can't wait to finally hang out with you again and, and maybe yeah, dude. finally go to a four chord festival maybe um, maybe some of you should play a four chord festival we would love that I've been uh, I've been telling them what a great dude you are and how oh, th- this this is our opportunity to get on the east coast <laughs> so it is we'll, dude it is maybe we have it a is. big tour coming up don't make me don't make me put an <laughs> offer into your agent, dude. I'm only gonna message you about this, okay? <laughs> dude, that that would be great. Even if you went straight to our agent, I would appreciate that too. Of course. But dude, thank you so much for hanging out with me, taking the time to do this. I learned so much. I'm sure my f- little following is gonna learn a lot from this too. So I appreciate it. I appreciate it very much, man. I, I admire you as much too, man, and, and uh, you know, uh, keep grinding, man. Don't don't ever don't ever lose that fire, man. For sure. Four Court Music Festival, Eternal Boy, Rise Against. That's all you need to know. Happening <laughs> September 17th. Get Your radio show host now. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm really excited. I hope it all goes well. I know it will. Um, and congratulations on this, dude. You deserve every, every eyeball on you at that show. So Pre- Appreciate it very much, man. Hope to see you soon. All right. Thanks, dude. Peace. All right. Thank you so much checking this episode out. Big thanks to Rishi, taking the time out of his insanely busy schedule, I'd imagine, to educate us and be on the show and uh, ask me a bunch of questions. He kind of became the host of that one. Thank you for checking out this episode of State of My Art Podcast. If you like what you saw or heard, if you're listening to this, be sure to follow, subscribe, click like, leave a comment. All that stuff really helps me and it'll help you see more episodes 
with fantastic artists and industry folks like Rishi. We'll see you next week for another episode of State of My Art Podcast. <laughs>